The Lifestylist, episode 90, featuring J.P. Sears. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. Okay, before we kick off this fantastic episode with the infamous J.P. Sears, I have a couple announcements. The first of which being the fact that I am speaking at an event tonight in Santa Monica, California, Tuesday, September 12th from 6 to 8 p.m. to celebrate the release and a screening of a new documentary film called A Head Above. It's all about smart drugs and nootropics. So again, this is Tuesday, September 12th, tonight, the date of this release. If you want tickets, just go to eventbrite.com, search the word A Head Above, and you can get in. Guess what, though? For free. Yes, that's right. It's a free event. It's a screening for the film and a panel with myself and Dr. Andrew Hill, who's a complete genius. I'm going to be on stage trying to uh, have a conversation with the PhD. That should be interesting. Uh, But we're going to be talking all about smart drugs and nootropics. So maybe if I take a bunch before the panel, I'll get even smarter and be able to keep up with these chiefs. But anyway, come to the event. It's at uh, at the Ocean Ave Screening Room, which is 1404 Ocean Avenue, number 110 in Santa Monica. Tonight, go to Eventbrite, search the word ahead above and register yourself and come hang out for free. Okay, so that's number one. The second event that I'm really, really excited for is called WITMA. That's Well-Being in the Modern Age, which is a live pop-up conversation series in New York City focused on practical methods for living a healthy and connected life, which is really in alignment with this here show, is it not? The Whitma event is going to be held at Noya House. The date is Thursday, September 21st from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Uh, doors open at 5.30. Tickets are 85 bucks, but check it out. If you enter the name Luke during checkout, you'll save $10 and you'll get in for 75 bones. So again, the event is called Whitma, Wellbeing in the Modern Age, and you can get your tickets at whitmalive.com. And don't forget to enter the code Luke and save 10%. So that's whitmalive.com. That's W-I-T-M-A-L-I-V-E. I will see you Thursday, September 21st at Neuhaus in New York City. I don't know about you, but I'm going to be at the Bulletproof 5th Annual Biohacking Conference on October 13th through 15th, 2017. That's coming up very soon. Why am I going to be there? Because I went the last two years and that shit was insanely cool. The Biohacking Tech Lab, all of the total A-list rad speakers, it's literally the best health and wellness conference in the world. I've been to just about all of them, so I think I can say that, and uh, I can't wait to go. Here's the deal, though. I'm not just telling you that to brag and make you feel bad because you're not going, perhaps, but if you want to go, I'm going to give away two free tickets to listeners of this show. That includes you because you're hearing me right now. That's two free tickets. That's around, I don't know, 900 bucks, $1,000 of value, and entering my little contest is so easy. All you have to do is this. All right, listen up. If you want two free tickets, do this. Text the word Bulletproof Luke 
to the number 44222. I told you, like, how brain dead easy is that? You don't even have to be a biohacker to remember that shit. Text the word Bulletproof Luke to the number 44222. You're going to be prompted to enter your name and email, and you're in. That's it. You're going to enter that contest a week before the event. I'm going to announce the winner. Hopefully, my friend, that will be you. Gentle ladies and gentlemen, what's up? It's Luke. I'm back with another episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. Today, my guest is none other than the esteemed YouTube and comedic sensation JP Sears, of whom I am a massive fan. I got all starstruck in this interview. So I was like, dude, this guy is so funny. And all of his work essentially makes fun of every single thing I do in my personal and professional life. So if you haven't seen his videos, uh, you could possibly have been living under a rock for the past couple of years, or you just don't have any really good friends with a sense of humor that send you his stuff uh, like I do. I've had a few friends that have forwarded me his videos over the years and been like, ah, ha, ha, he's making fun of you. Well, it turns out he's making fun of a lot of people, but it's done with a lot of consciousness and heart. And that's why I had such a great time doing this interview slash conversation with JP. So some of the things we covered in this here episode are as follows. The silliness of biohacking practices and how his videos make fun of literally everything I do on a daily basis and how that keeps me hopefully a little bit humble. How to recognize approval seeking in your life and on social media and how to break the habit. Then we examine the massive amount of energy people typically waste on the hypervigilance of approval seeking and where does this desperate need to be liked actually come from. We discuss the fact that the more you try to get people to like you, the more they are repelled by you. Sort of a spiritual axiom of the universe that tends to backfire on us when we're trying to be popular. Learning how to overcome the shame of your own weirdness and individuality. How to be truly authentic and find your real identity and personality. Then where being healthy ends and being obsessive compulsive begins and how to find balance in your life. And how health practices are often used as a distraction from doing the more important inner personal growth work. Why spiritual biohacks like human connection, gratitude, and love work better than all of the technology-based practices we all use to feel good. Then the power of self-awareness and surrendering to the discomfort of life. The new era of transparent advertising and marketing, of which JP is a forerunner. Really great way that he kind of markets himself is by making fun of the way that he's marketing himself. Shit is genius. Then walking the fine line between effective marketing and being creepy and manipulative. Uh, how JP uses his humor to stay humble and to help others to awaken, and using satire to break attachments to dogmatic views and positionalities. Then we have a deep piece, which I really enjoyed, on the social disease of political correctness and how he's able to get away with doing comedy in our current emotionally sensitive culture, how intention and context determine what our words and humor mean, and how we choose whether or not to have our feelings hurt. And then finally, we cover how JP actually practices prayer and spirituality in his own personal life. So this episode is really funny, and he's obviously a comedian, but I found him to be really deep and profound in his level of human awareness. So it was like a kind of a spiritual comedy episode, and I really, really enjoyed doing it. I have a feeling I'm going to be bugging him very soon to come back on the show, because even though we, we got into a lot of deep water here, I feel that uh, the reservoir has a lot more to be offered in terms of JP. JP's perspective on the world. So I'm really proud and pleased to bring you this episode with JP Sears. I want to thank you again for listening to my show. Please share it with your friend if you enjoy it, and I will see you on the next one. 
Today's episode is brought to you by my friends over at earthrunners.com. If you follow me on social media, if you know me, you know that 95% of the time I'm not wearing traditional shoes because they suck and they're really bad for your body and for your feet. So I'm always wearing my earthrunners, whether I'm trail running, hiking, going to the beach, flying on an airplane, or even going to a party in Hollywood. Because unlike most minimal footwear, earthrunners actually look really dope. They have a great design. So they improve your biomechanics, the way that you walk, because essentially you're born to walk barefoot and earth runners give you that ability without getting your feet dirty and gross and getting kicked out of restaurants but what's even cooler about earth runners is that they're grounded they have conductive thread in the straps and a copper plug on the bottom that keeps you electronically grounded to mother earth it's fantastic so good for you on so many levels so if you want to check out earth runners go to earthrunners.com and enter the code luke 10 to save 10 percent off your order so go to earthrunners.com Enter the code LUKE10 and your life will be forever changed for the better. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends over at Organifi.com. Really excited about this product. I've been using it for a few months and I've got to say they are revolutionizing the green juice game. So you probably know that green juice is good for you, right? We see them like in 7-Eleven now and airport convenience stores. That's awesome. I'm all for it. But there's a couple of issues with green juice that I find troubling. A is a lot of times they come in plastic. B, they're loaded with sugar up to 25 grams sometimes, which is insane. That's like a green Coke. But the main thing is they're just really inconvenient. They're not good for travel. Organifi has solved that problem by creating these single serving packets of a really easy to mix, easy to use green juice superfood blend. It's loaded with 11 superfoods. It's got chlorella, wheatgrass, spirulina, mint, turmeric, moringa, ashwagandha, lemon, beets, matcha green tea, coconut water. Best of all, it's sweetened with monk fruit, which is a really low glycemic sugar. So it's not going to spike your blood sugar, which essentially drains you of energy, makes you crash, and ultimately could also make you fat because you don't want to be having a high sugar drink. It just is not good. So these guys make this amazing tasting, super powerful green juice powder. It also comes in a tub if you just want to have one at home. It's by far the tastiest one that I've found. There's a lot of superfood green blends around. And to be honest, a lot of them just taste gross and they don't mix well and they're just not convenient to travel with. You'd have to like make a Ziploc bag full of some green powder. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to be traveling through the airport security and get caught with one of those. So if you want to check it out, I highly recommend that you do. And I've also got a little discount for you, of course. All you do is go to Organifi.com, that's spelled with an I, Organifi.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST, and you will save 20% off your order. It's a pretty sweet deal. So again, go to Organifi.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST, and you will save 20%. Check it out. J.P. Sears is an emotional healing coach, YouTuber, author, international teacher, speaker, world traveler, and curious student of life. His work empowers people to live more meaningful lives. J.P. is the author of How to Be Ultra Spiritual. He's very active in his online videos where he encourages healing and growth through his humorous and entertainingly informative videos, including his hit Ultra Spiritual comedy series, which has accumulated over 100 million views, including the views of your host. <laughs> you can learn more about JP and his work at awakenwithjp.com. Welcome to the Lifestylist Podcast, JP Sears. Luke, welcome to your own podcast too, brother. I'm happy <laughs> to have you on. <laughs> yeah, I so appreciate you uh, inviting me on. I'm happy to be here with you For today. For sure. It's, it's actually funny. 
I wouldn't say I'm like starstruck. I live in Hollywood. There's a lot of stars, but it's funny because I'm so used to like, I've watched your videos so many times and so many of them. It's funny, like talking to you, I'm like waiting for you to make fun of me. <laughs> well, I already am. You're just not bright enough to notice it. <laughs> <laughs> nice, dude. Nice. No, man. I, yeah, I appreciate you watching my videos. It means a lot to me. And I, I assure you, I'm significantly less funny and dramatically less charming in person than I am on video. Well, you know what's fucking great is like every time you put out a video, someone I know sends it to me. And it was actually the fir- actually the first one that it was I think it was the biohacking secrets one. Yeah. Someone sent it to me. It was like, dude, do you know this guy? He's totally clowning on you. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, and then I actually for a second I was like, fuck, is he? Because I literally do like every single thing yeah. you did in the video. And I was like, oh no, I guess there's just a lot of us out there, and we're open. Uh, it's open season. We're easy targets to be made fun of. That's funny. My uh, my lovely lady Amber before her and I were together before we knew each other. I put out a video that's probably a year and a half ago at this point called how to take a yoga photo for Instagram. And she, she's an Instagram yogi. So she had all these friends just sending her this video. Amber, this video is about you. And it pissed her off. She's like getting all offended and then jokes on her. Now I'm her boyfriend. Yeah, no shit. You're like, and and look how many, and look how many views it got. <laughs> so uh yeah so there was that one i just want to review a couple of your videos because like i resonated yeah. with so many of them but honestly like there was one that was uh about online marketing and being a life coach and like yeah. sales funnels and like and now i'm gonna trap you in a sales funnel and that stuff and i was like ah oh, shit is i mean it really made me question my whole business model i'm like oh maybe i shouldn't do this like is it creepy is it fucked up and i've i've sort of like struggled with that because I mean, and you're like a coach and, have, you know, I've done coaching and actually are a real spiritual guy in real life, not yeah. just like pretending to be ultra, ultra spiritual. So there's been times when I've struggled with like the marketing end of it, even though I know I'm delivering immense value to the people that feel like watching or listening to my show yeah. or YouTube videos or whatever. And uh, it's like, I know that ultimately I'm doing them a favor if I trap them in a sales funnel, <laughs> you sure. know what I mean? <laughs> because I think, I think what, I'm, what I'm offering has validity, you know, sure. uh, to a certain group of people. But at the same time, it's like, it's always, I always struggle with like trying to sell anything, especially yeah. if it's informational and especially if it has any sort of spiritual bent. Yeah. And even like when, when I first learned meditation from my current teacher a couple of years ago, you had to pay for it. It's Vedic meditation. It's sort of like TM Yeah. and you pay a fee to the teacher. That's how they keep doing their thing. And even as like a, a customer or consumer of that teaching it took me like six months to sign up because i was like i shouldn't have to pay for something spiritual like god is free (laughs) (laughs) how to get to god apparently is yeah yeah. Uh, or it's not easy so anyway yeah yeah go ahead i like that i man i i i like just transparency so i think one by the way i think how one markets it's just you got to go by your individual taste and obviously we know there's slime balls out there who can give everybody a bad you know, a bad rap, but I, I like just transparency. So I, what was it a, a week or two ago? I, I put out a promo video. I'm going on a comedy tour. It was just a video like delivering zero value to people, but I'm just promoting the comedy tour. So I called it the zero value video and, and I let people know that I'm out to grab their money. 
And then, you know, the, the pre-sale of tickets, it's from now until Thursday, like just two days. And I said, now you should feel psychologically pressured to buy quicker because there's a time crunch. <laughs> just calling out the marketing tactics I was using. And, and that's fun to me. And I, I've got a membership program for exclusive content, uh, you know, playfulness, purposefulness stuff so people can live a more meaningful life. So it's like a new program that I'll be doing. I'm partnered with yeah, the right people who know how to do the infrastructure of it and market it. And they know, how to, how we're they gonna, know how to trap people in a sales funnel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we're, we're going to be letting them know when we're trapping them. So right. we'll, we'll do a specific parody video on exactly what we're doing to them. Right, so right. We'll say, here, here's a diagram of where you're at in our funnel right now, and here's where we want you to go, and here's how we're going to try to get you there starting right now. And so, man, and I don't know, like, th- will that work better, worse, or the same? I don't know, and I, I'm also grateful I don't care. To me, it's just like, it's the more interesting way to do it. And I always find like, what's under the obvious is more interesting. So when we're doing marketing tactics, it's obvious we're doing marketing tactics. But if we just expose the psychology and just the blatant reasons why we're doing it, that's under the obvious. And to me, it's more interesting. It's like what happens behind closed doors is always more interesting than what happens out in the open. That's hilarious, dude. Yeah, I I actually think people really resonate with that too because not only is it funny, but you know, if you follow like Gary Vaynerchuk, for example, that model of just letting everyone see everything. I remember when he first started, you know, putting out content and you'd see like his messy ass room. He's like living in his parents' basement or something. You're like, oh, this is the fucking wine expert, you know? (laughs) But it's like, that was that was the whole appeal and still is the whole appeal of like that side of, of marketing. It's like sort of the new advertising model versus like the 1950s TV ad that's totally sure. like brainwashing you against your will with zero transparency and it, just is yeah. totally fake. And it's a big facade. But yeah, I think I agree. Part of the brilliance of Gary Vaynerchuk is like he calls out what he's doing. Like when you get access to a lot of his life with his vlogs. But then I remember when his most recent book, Ask Gary V, came out, like in the months leading up to that, how he's doing all these like tweeting at people and responding to comments. He's like, yeah, I'm doing it so that you'll want to or you'll feel obligated to buy my book when it comes out next (laughs) month. It's like, man, and I bought his book. I'm like, that is it's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it would just yeah. be so transparent and like unfear based. You know, the, the fear right. of I'm going to lose sales if you know what I'm doing. It's like, well, maybe you'll lose sales if you act like you're not doing exactly what you're doing. So I think we, you know, the age of Aquarius, I don't know much about astrology, but I think we're in like an astrological phase just to add more credibility to my delusional opinion I'm about to say. But an astrological phase of authenticity and transparency. I think people are hungry for that. They, they like to pay attention to it. They want to connect with it the deceptive facading stuff like man i think that had its time and place and i think it's expired at this point yeah absolutely uh that was that was something i kind of struggled with when i started the podcast because i like especially i recorded 15 episodes right with like pretty big people in health and wellness and stuff and then 
to put it out, I had to do my own, which is like the first one where you sort of introduce who you are and tell yeah. your story. And my story, like my past is fairly checkered. And so I didn't know how real I wanted to be. And it took me like a couple months of debating and sort of struggling with like how much of like a podcast host guy I wanted to be and how much is <laughs> like, I'm just this fucking wacky guy that's into all this trippy shit. Yeah. I'm getting happier day by day. My life's getting better from the stuff that I'm discovering, the experts that I find. I'm going to put it out. And in the end, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to set the tone of the whole thing and just be totally real. So like right now, I have our Instagram live going and it's like people see the whole setup and if I stumble or fuck up or my computer program crashes or whatever, it's just, it's so much more fun to like let people into the whole process you know for sure and and what's funny is every time like i'm like yesterday i did a, a speaking engagement and so much of the feedback i got was like dude i like your stuff because it's not like staged it's very spontaneous and real yeah. and the conversations are authentic it's they're not like interviews in the formal sense so you, you know sure. you, you get that feedback uh, was there any stage when you started doing your videos and stuff because you've been I know you've been like doing kind of the lifestyle and everything that you're doing for like 15 years but when yeah. you first started doing your videos was there did you have to get over like that I don't know it's it's like a deep level of shame where you're like embarrassed to be you and just come out yeah. and like do your thing how did you how did you start to get over like just giving your your gift to the world Man, yeah, I, I definitely had that big time. And how I got over it was through it. Not bypassing it, not out tricking it, but freaking going through it and feeling the fires of my freaking self going through it. Like starting to do a comedy video, like one, it was like 13 years into my career before I did a comedy video. And some people would say like, yeah, I've never done a whole a comedy video in my whole career. What's the big deal? Well, being a comedian is such a natural part of my personality. It's not my whole personality, but it's a very real, big part of it. So me not letting myself be comedic in the professional front, it's like a big time betrayal of self. And I was betraying myself because I had the shame of, I, I don't think I'll be accepted. I, I think I'll be discredited as emotional healing coach, kind of spiritual guy if I'm being comedic. So in other words, like I was being partly real with my sincere offerings, but at the same time, like, and, and that's awesome. I, like, man, i so value the, the service that I gave to people. But at the same time, I also wasn't real because there was more to the whole picture of me that I wasn't presenting. So the creative inspiration, it just got intense. I'd say probably much like a woman who's been pregnant for nine months. Like, man, the water's broke. There's a force of nature that wants something to be birthed through me. And I can fight it and be in a lot of pain and it's going to come anyway. Or I can surrender to it. It's not going to be comfortable. But the more I surrender and breathe with it, the more grace there is with the discomfort. So... That's That wasn't like a one-time moment where I surrendered. It's been a gradual process where I become more unapologetic for who I am. It's like, yeah, sometimes I'm going to say some very sincere shit from my heart. And other times I'm going to be very satirical and say ridiculous things. <laughs> yeah. it, and sometimes within the same sentence, and it's freaking okay. And it's something I've learned is it takes a lot less energy to just be real. And it's so much more freaking enjoyable. So, you know, you and I can show up for this podcast and we're like, I'm going to be GP, you're going to be Luke. 
it makes it enjoyable. It's not an energy draw. When I used to do, say, like public speaking, man, it, like it, it would take it out of me. Like go show up and speak somewhere. I realized it wasn't the speaking. It was like the hypervigilance and the constriction of control, modulating who I am, how I am, and being so hypervigilant about what am I about to say and will that fit into this small little model of what I think I'm supposed to be like, wow. Talk about taking away the quality and the enjoyment from the experience as well as sapping your energy. And now showing up somewhere, getting on stage, having a conversation, whatever it is, it's like I'm, I'm here to be myself and it's enjoyable. And I think I deliver better value. I think when people can function in the moment spontaneously, which I think you can only do if you're giving yourself permission to be you, there is like three-dimensionality that comes from spontaneity. I think there's like one dimension that comes from premeditation or let me be the host who talks in this tone of voice that real people don't talk to so nobody can connect with me and I'll feel safe because of that. Like that's flatlined. But man, there's there's a beautiful rhythm, three-dimensional rhythm that happens when we take the risk and jump off the cliff into spontaneity. Man, it's so enjoyable. But I think from my delusional point of view, getting on a soapbox here, Luke, really self-righteous right now i'm i'm just i'm taking mental notes i'm like god thank god i took my uh, smart drug stack this morning so i can like (laughs) i can like bullet these things out without taking notes because there's so much to unpack there but yeah keep going i'm digging it yeah and i'm gonna pitch you on joining scientology here after this so like are you putting me in a yes ladder right now uh that's where you want to be so that's that uh You know, the phase of being artificial, and yes, in my experience, it's way more taxing, way less enjoyable, but that phase of being artificial, I think it's actually a natural phase to go through. I think it's a crappy vat of quicksand to get stuck in, but to grow through it, uh, man, I I think that's natural. And I, I I don't think any of us need to hold shame of like, wow, I was kind of not very real back then or last year. It's like, yeah, you, you have to be who you're not in order to figure out who the hell you are. And I think you have to sometimes be who you're not to learn the consequences of what it feels like to not be yourself. That's really good stuff. Like I said, there's so much there. Something that really stuck out to me, though, is this concept, which actually I now have a visceral experience of. I can totally uh, kind of internalize that experience, which is, I guess you could call it like approval fatigue. You know, you have decision fatigue, oh, like man. you wake up and every, like I automate as much stuff as I can in the morning. Cause I don't want to make decisions about what I'm going to wear, how I make Same my coffee. Night. Like yeah. I just automate shit so I can actually use my attention on something meaningful and, and spontaneous and creative. But you're so right. Like this approval fatigue of how much work it actually takes to be vigilant about making sure that everybody fucking likes you. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's exhausting. And also it doesn't work because I I noticed people that don't need approval and that have a really high self worth. It's like, I just inherently respect them and value them because I intuit that they value themselves and that they don't need my approval. It's like approval seeking is so Oh God, it's so ironic because the more you are seeking that and the more energy you spend on making sure everyone in the room loves you, 
the less they love and like you because it's actually repulsive to want to be like there's an inherent neediness to it right for sure so it's like it's that thing where like oh, i want people to respect me and there's well no one will respect you unless you respect respect yourself it, it's kind of like in that same thing the 100%. question is is like okay so if I'm living my life, whether it's the shit I post on Instagram or how I hold myself or how articulate or not I am when I give a public talk or run a podcast or whatever, it's like inherently at the base of that need for approval is shame, right? It's like there's something yeah. in me that I don't accept or love. I think I'm a piece of shit because that's what my parents told me or the bullies at school or whatever happened, you know? So how does one, and this is always the question is like, how does one cultivate more self-acceptance, which I think is another way of saying like cultivate more humility where you're, you actually accept how fucking weird you are and your greatness at yeah. the same time. Like how does, how do, what's some ways that someone could cultivate that self-acceptance so that you don't have to spend the energy getting the world to say, okay, you're okay. And then it reflects back to me and I go, oh, okay, they said I'm okay, so I'm okay. I got, I got uh, 250 likes on this Instagram post. Oh, thank God, okay. I'm actually not, I'm like not a dumbass loser. And this is stuff I see within myself all the time and I'm, I'm actually making progress oh, at too, this, yeah. you know, where like I'm giving less fucks about like who I am and just being more authentic and, it does save so much energy, but I don't know exactly how I'm doing it other than just having an awareness of when I'm being fake and wanting people to like me and sort of surrendering it in the moment. Man, yeah. I think as long as we're worshiping other people's approval, we'll never be ourselves because our self is too dangerous because our self isn't engineered to get people's approval. Though we'll get their approval at times, we'll get their disapproval at times, and they won't notice us at other times. But our self is engineered to express the miracle of our being. Approval, when we're acting out to get approval, that's engineered to get people's approval. So, man, Ram Dass, uh, uh, he once said, probably more than once, because that's an awesome fucking saying. Hopefully he said it more than once. You can't get out of a jail you don't know you're in. So I do believe uh, the most powerful step to minimizing how much of an approval addict we are is actually wake the freaking hell up to when we are out to get approval. And like, first off, we have to realize we do it. It's not a matter of, do I do it? It's a matter of, you do it. Can you recognize even 10% of the time when you do it? And to me, that helps that be a part of our life rather than being our life. And I also think a, another powerful step that's very easy to say and very challenging to do as far as surrendering, being controlled by this inner insatiable addict of the approval variety is being willing to actually feel discomfort. You, know, you mentioned, and I, I so agree with you, I think you're brilliant, because I think the same way I'm so arrogant. Yeah. Like I call well, people if we agree, like, we're both brilliant. <laughs> that's the thing. That's, my, that's the basis of my definition of brilliance. Did you agree with me? Oh, it's brilliant. Brilliant, Luke. But your synopsis that the basis of going after approval is inherently deep-seated shame like i'm not enough as i am i can't accept myself as i am welcome to the human condition we're all born that way so if that's the seat of going after approval then my experience is we have to be willing to start feeling that shame and like 
risk being ourself a little bit once in a while and feel how scary that is. And like we'll experience the rapture of our imagination, which is typically way more harsh than the reality actually will be. But we imagine like when I, before I released my first comedy video, I imagine nobody's going to want to work with me as a client. People will discredit me. They'll think I'm not a spiritual person. They'll think I'm just a jerk making fun of everything. So that was my imagination. And I thought, I imagined it would be terrible for business. I released the video. It turned out to be the best thing I ever did for my business. But still, experiencing my imagination was very uncomfortable. And there was shame of self I was needing to connect with. Brene Brown, do you ever read any of her stuff? No, uh uh-uh. She's my favorite author. I've never read oh, any really? of her books. Yeah, but one of her one of You've her seen a couple quotes I online. <laughs> I've read her quotes. Favorite author of quotes. She does a lot of work on vulnerability, but she has a quote that says, he or she who's willing to be the most uncomfortable is not only the bravest, but rises the highest. And I think our willingness to experience discomfort helps us rise beyond being an approval addict because being going after approval when you boil it down, it's just engineered to avoid pain, avoid that deep-seated shame. So, man, sometimes we got to become the warrior in our life and say, I, I've, I've been orienting myself away from pain my whole life, and that's starting to cost me. I'm, be, I'm an approval addict. What I do and how I am is largely based on what I think is going to get me approval. And that means it's at the expense of actually being myself and learning about who I am. And it's at the expense of inner fulfillment. So can I be the warrior and actually have the courage to feel afraid rather than being afraid to feel my fear? Can I feel the shame there? Can I feel scared? Can I feel like nobody will like me? Can I feel that people don't like me at times because I'm saying real shit? Am I willing to experience that discomfort? And I think sometimes we've got to call ourselves out to be the warrior of our life. Not all the time, but some of the time. And then it's like seeking approval or disapproval, just like whichever polarity you learn to get your emotional needs met as uh, as a child. Either one gives us attention. But maybe that'll always be part of our life. Maybe we'll never get rid of it. But the more we add to our life that's not engineered out of just giving ourselves a way to get approval, the more quality we have. And to me, the difference is between, it's like an alcoholic. There's someone like, they can't have any alcohol. They're just, it doesn't work for them. They get completely out of control. To me, we're all to a degree, the approval holic. We're all out of control with approval. So I think the goal here is to become the person with approval, who can metaphorically go out and have a glass of wine a couple times a week. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to seek approval. Like this post on Instagram, how many likes did it have? Oh, you know, a few hundred. I'm awesome. And then it'll be just like a little glass of wine here and there, but it doesn't dominate my mind. I'm not like Gollum on Lord of the Rings, just always seething and desperately seeking approval 24-7. So to me, that's the goal. Find balance with it, not the fantasy of eliminating the delusional neediness that causes us to seek approval you think that a lot of your comedy like personally enables you to because you're kind of making i mean i'm a sick there's no way you could know about all the stuff you make videos about unless you're doing some of it you know what i mean like if you do oh, a video you know, about I'm, like i'm pretty perfect paleo or functional training or life coaching like all the stuff you're doing i'm like he knows way too much about this shit to be making fun of other people so 
in, in the ability to sort of like not take take oneself too seriously is that not a self-acceptance practice where you're going like hey I'm into some goofy shit and I sort of accept and acknowledge myself or when you see yourself having a character defect or or any of that I mean isn't sort of the self-love and self-acceptance inherent to just going all right I'm just going to put myself out there and be this goofball I mean do you find that is in in and of itself almost a spiritual practice Luke, my only problem is that I don't have any problems, so I can't possibly portray my shortcomings. <laughs> so I just pay attention to the unconscious people around me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now, you're, you're 100% right. My video material is all based on self-reflection. In fact, me making my videos, I consider it part of my therapy. It's how I become aware of things that are very real that I've been unaware of. So I like to shine the light in my shadows. So yeah, observing my life and like you said, being able to respect myself enough that I don't take it so seriously, that I don't have, that I'm not so controlled by my shame, that I'm unwilling to acknowledge, let alone shine the light on publicly my dysfunction. Like I I can't go there. I have to pretend that it's like, nope, uh, this is what I do. So I don't have so much shame that restricts me uh, from that, at least the things I've made videos on so far. Uh, you know, a couple months ago, I did a video on how to win people's approval. So there's I that. saw that in your YouTube I, feed. I got to watch that now. Yeah, I didn't get to that yeah, one, but I, I noticed that. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then, you know, the uh, I did a video recently on passive-aggressive relationship techniques. Freaking guilty of everything I've portrayed there. I I did a video on how to become gluten intolerant and all the anal retentive controlling jerk-like behaviors I portray there. It's because I've done them. I've been gluten-free for 15, 16 years and I've been a jerk in just pretending it's like, no, I'm, I'm gluten intolerant. It's like, no, you're being a jerk, JP. Gluten <laughs> yeah. intolerant means you don't eat gluten. Being a jerk means you act like a abusing, jerk. Abusing so, waiters around the world, <laughs> giving up a fucking CIA interrogation <laughs> about like everything in the kitchen. And yeah, yeah. I love that. Did you ever see that? Did is. you ever watch Portlandia? The show Portlandia? Yeah, I've I've gotten into I've probably watched a, a dozen episodes or oh, so. Okay. It's brilliant. There's one. There's it seems like something you would resonate with. But there's one where they they go out to eat and you know obviously they're in Portland and he's ordering like the chicken and he's like, oh, is it free range? Yeah. Well, where's the farm? You know, what was the chicken's name? Like you know, just the whole thing. And then I I forget. It's been a while, but I think they like drive to the farm and like research to see where that chicken came from and whose parents were and you know it's like. It just gets fucking ridiculous, you know, unless, of course, you have some self-awareness around it. You know, it's like if I if I go to a restaurant and I'm in like a really orthorexic type vibe that day and I'm like uptight about what I'm eating. I mean, I'll even sort of like make fun of myself to the waiter because I used to be a waiter for a long time in my 20s. And I'll be like, dude, I know I'm that guy right now and I just want to (laughs) apologize ahead of time. But I really need to know if like if this is is soaking in canola oil or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, what kind of water filter do you use? So I think it's like with all this stuff, if you honestly, if you have the ability to make fun of yourself, you're able to loosen up. And and speaking of like orthorexia, I I can just tell you've been into like health stuff and all this for a long time. Um, Sure. Was there a point where you became aware that 
mm, the control that you were exerting over your health practices and your life was actually more detrimental to your health than just saying, all right, whatever, I'm going to eat some GMO corn or something? Man, yeah, you read me like a book for sure. The I, I, What was it? Probably like 19 through probably 28. And I was like hardcore orthorexic, like, you know, fundamentalist died in the wool. This is how it is. And yeah, you're, you're, this is all about helping your health. It's like, it's actually pretty fear-based mentality. And how healthy is that? So yeah, I started to consider, you know, my exact thought was something along the lines of my hyper control, which became, I think, pretty obsessive compulsive. If that's to improve my vitality, let's just say by five units nutritionally, because I'm hyper controlling, won't eat anything that's not 100% organic, blessed by Dalai Lama. If that <laughs> saves me, it gives me five units of vitality. <clears throat> and I acknowledge like we're a holistic being. What if that's costing me eight units of vitality through the psychological stress of coming from that controlling mindset? And I think any method of control really comes from a deeper fear-based mindset. So yeah, I had a little bit of come to Jesus moment or maybe like come away from Jesus here in this religious metaphor where I realized like, yeah, man, may, the, the best I can say it is health is about balance. And I've been way out of balance. And I think indifferent to health was my only reference point, but I, I became the opposite extreme of being compulsive with health, like being completely mindless about health, or are you just anal retentive, obsessive, compulsive about health? So I defined my balance, and, and I think balance is always like an elusive center of gravity that can move and change. So I think my balance changes, but man, it's nice to sometimes eat something without uh, really hurting myself with shame or <laughs> hurting myself with shame to prevent myself from eating something. But man, yeah, it's nice. To, like, I think a state of surrender is way more enjoyable than a hypervigilant control state. And I'm curious, what about yourself and your... It's Your very balance or like their Yeah, very similar journey. Uh, and this is something I'm becoming more aware of because, okay, for example, if I eat gluten, MSG, aspartame, seed oils, soy, corn, wheat, like commodity, agric post-agriculture wow. crap food that sits in fucking silos in Missouri for a while before I eat it, like all that stuff does have an inflammatory effect sure. on my body and I try to avoid it. But at the same time, and this, you know, like it takes one to know one kind of thing. At the same time, I've also become acutely aware at how I've used health practices to avoid like facing discomfort or facing yeah. pain in my life. So I might wake up in the morning and be stressed out about something in my business partnership or whatever relationship. And I'll sit there and make all my preparations and fucking 45 supplements and the smoothie and this and everything's timed and I have a list of when I take stuff. So I actually don't have to do the real work of like prayer and yeah. self-reflection. And like you keep, you keep coming back to a theme of surrender, self-awareness, walking through discomfort and not mm. running from it. So I've used sort of superficial health practices as a means by which to avoid doing the real shit. Yeah. Just like facing facing the the real shadow, you know, 
And so I had an experience the other day, actually, that comes to mind. Uh, I was in this workshop, <laughs> fucking terrifying workshop on intimacy that a, another guest of mine, John Wineland, hosted. It, I was like, take any Navy SEAL and put that motherfucker through this workshop. <laughs> like, it was horrifying, but really, in the end, gratifying. But one of the things we had to do is um, there were times where they sent you out, like with, I was there as a single guy, and so they'd, they sent you out, like on, not a real date, but a chance to like practice some of the stuff with a woman who was also single there, and there were some couples. But there was one day where they sent a few guys out together, so I had to like pick a group of guys to go to lunch with, and these dudes aren't like biohackers or like, you know, whatever. There's normal guys, I think. And so everyone's like, where do you want to go to lunch? And I don't want to be the controller. Like, it yeah. has to be organic, yeah. man. I was like, cool, whatever you guys want. I was trying to be just sort of go with the flow. And they're like, how about the deli across the street? And I know this place is like 100% GMO, 100% just totally toxic. And I was like, I saw myself start to get anxiety about it Yeah. as we're walking over there. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. I bet this anxiety is worse for me than going and eating some goddamn toxic potato salad. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's interesting, though, because I surrendered to it. And it's like, okay, I'm not going to be the sore thumb here. I'm just going to go along with the flow with the guys. And we went over there, and we all walked in. And it's interesting because like, the four guys I was with all sort of walked in and were like, nah, not vibing it not resonating they're like nah you guys feeling it? i'm like definitely not and then we went to like the farm to table grass-fed rad place down the street that i really wanted That's to go cool. to it's one of those things where it's like well what's the lesser of the two uh, damages like you're saying so this yeah. is something i've worked with a lot and also just in coaching people too it's like i did a talk yesterday and People will ask questions or they'll want to talk about the health stuff, what to eat, what not to eat, where do you get your spring water, where's the mountain, you know, and, and all that stuff. And I'm like, let's talk about your fucking parents, you know, <laughs> um, or do you believe there's a God? Do you pray? Like, do you have a relationship with something universally powerful and wise that you're connecting to? Or are you just totally on your own in your own little universe trying to not eat gluten? You know, it's like. I've had to make myself much more, <laughs> much more big picture. And I think what yeah. ends up happening is you, you nailed the word. You said balance. You know, eventually the pendulum kind of goes a bit the other way where I used to be like, I would literally wake up and smoke heroin. And that was my, I mean, I'm not even joking. That was my breakfast for yeah. years. And then at night I would subsist on like beer and crack. I mean, so coming from that end of the spectrum to becoming, you know, I was a vegetarian for 10 years, almost killed myself with that diet. Um, all the health extremes, every biohacking thing you've ever made fun of times a hundred going that way, being like the pill at dinner. Who's like, Oh, I'm not going to eat you guys. Nothing really. I'm not really feeling it. And everyone, you know, girlfriends are like, dude, you're such a jerk. Like, can't you just fucking go with the flow? We're eating pizza. Like, yeah, chill out. So, and then eventually, you know, and I'm sure I'm still not in balance, but that's the goal. Like you said, is to, is to not be so controlling but not totally let go or I'm just like, cool, I just live on ice cream, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, especially with someone who considers themselves like in the health world, a good question to ask ourselves once in a while is how are my health practices unhealthy on me? And, and even that we have to be careful of because then we can ask ourselves that question so much as like, okay, when are my health practices unhealthy on me? I want to make sure they're not unhealthy on me ever so that I can always stay healthy. And we're like right back to where we started with the illusion of being more balanced. So man, yeah, I think <laughs> life, life is a paradox. The path we take to find ourselves will be the path we lose ourselves on. 
but yeah, man, once in a while, just checking ourselves before we wreck ourselves is well, you know, I yeah, think a, a pretty decent idea. You just encapsulated an idea that I want to bring to light, and that is inherently in all of the self care stuff. There's a ri- you know, there's a risk of self obsession, right? I think that's what it is. Sure. Like when I'm like avoiding my problems and avoiding any sort of emotional feeling by all of these distractions, even like working out, all that stuff that could be like. It's, it's tricky because it could be labeled self-care, so you think it's good for you, but inherent to a lot of that stuff is just self-obsession where I'm just locked in my own little world and just thinking about me and how I feel and how my body looks and what it I'm eating. It can get narcissistic. Yeah, yeah, it gets crazy, whereas like, how about you just like call five people and be like, man, how are you? Are you okay? Is there uh, anything I can do to help you in your life? You know, like it's actually so much more healthy to be of service and care about other people and be interested in others and be outward facing than it is a practicing a hundred self-awareness things. Cause you're in self-awareness. There's also self-obsession, right? I agree. And that's something uh, I would like to say I struggle with, but sometimes like I'm so bad at it. I don't even struggle. It's just like drowning without even trying to get <laughs> to the surface. So like right now I've got a handful of texts from people who you know they're they're in my personal life and man i haven't gotten back to them because i'm so busy in these business projects and uh, so important stuff and it's like yeah that's true and it's also true i'm self-absorbed right now and so the 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 fine act of reaching out and spending a, a few minutes on the phone with someone to be of service to them like that is a sometimes in my life that's a lost art and it like I don't appreciate how beautiful of an experience that is until I go back to it. After I've been away from it for a little while, then I go back to it and be like, yeah, that like, it, like almost in a, another dimension of self-absorbedness, like that felt really good to be of service to them. Like I didn't get anything in return other than this intangible feeling that's that feels more meaningful than just like ego gratification that comes with being self-absorbed. So, or yeah, I I think it, you just made me think of another offshoot. Please carry on, carry on. uh, I I do think it's beneficial for us to be aware of the extremes. Like the thing I'm doing to help myself, how might that eventually work against me or how might it be working against me now? Because man, there's always at least two sides of the slope to fall off of like self-neglect where we hate ourselves so much we don't even do anything to ourselves or narcissism, which is basically we hate ourselves so much that we try to become something that we're not, but it looks way different. Like we're self-absorbed versus just dissociated from ourselves. Yeah. I think also in there in that, you know, getting out of oneself is that's the only way to have true connection with others. You know, whether you're being of service or however you want to contextualize it, I'll be doing all kinds of crazy shit. Like, okay, I'm going to do breath of fire and then Wim Hof breathing and eat this smoothie and have this and have that. And then go for a walk and get sun on my upper body and like doing all this crazy shit. And it's like to get ready for it. Like today I was like, Oh my God, this thing's at 11, like 11 AM to me is like 6 AM to a normal person. I was like, how am I going to be coherent by 11 AM? This is ridiculous. But you know, you're in a different time zone, whatever I had to adapt. You're more famous than me. I got, you know, I got to deal with it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to do this. I have like an hour to do all these things to get my brain turned on. And it's like, I probably could have just called one friend and just had a heart to heart, like loving connection and gotten in a deeper flow state than 20 things I could do isolated on my own in my own little self-obsessed world, you know? 
And for sure, gratitude is a biohack. Appreciation is a biohack. Connection is a biohack. It's like the, you know, the, sometimes the biohacks that weirdos like you and I get into, whether it's getting into a freezer full of freezing cold water or hooking up electrodes to our head, like that's fancy and that's awesome. But also there is the incredibly free, simple, sustainable biohack of appreciation. Like, man, if that doesn't shift your brain, your mood, and therefore probably your physiology by expressing genuine appreciation for someone over the, like the long duration of two and a half minutes, it's like, if that doesn't do it, nothing will. And that's like, it's just like so powerful that it's almost invisible. It's like, yeah. no, that can't work because there's not a bright, shiny machine. <laughs> and I didn't pay for it. Yeah. I, I didn't pay to learn that biohack. I didn't pay for the equipment. So that probably doesn't do anything. There's, there's no, no MCT oil <laughs> on that biohack. Come on now. There's no $5,000 piece of tech that was associated with it. But that what you're talking about is so powerful. I'm looking at the time like, okay, there's one topic we definitely have to cover. But um, lastly on this is that this is Jedi shit is like that the human connection and the, the sort of feeling that you can evoke that has such a profound effect on one's relationship to self and also to others, you know, and that's the thing. It's so sort of elusive and takes a lot of practice to be able to uh, value that and make it part of your repertoire as like a biohack in the way that you're contextualizing it yeah, yeah. because it's invisible and it's in the spiritual realm, you know, yeah. and the spiritual realm to the rational mind is so hard to believe in and so hard to validate because you can't prove it. It's like, so I think we have some pretty good rapport going on this call. Like I feel your heart. I'm, I'm connected to you. I vibe with you. It's like, I couldn't prove that in court though. For sure. If you interrogated me later and be like, okay, did, do you guys think you had good rapport? Were you vibing? Did, did he like you? Did you like him? Did you have a good talk? It's like, yeah, I, I could feel it in my heart. Well, prove it. It's like, you can't prove it. Just like when a puppy runs in the room, you can't, how do you prove that love? It's an intangible hack. It's something For that sure. is, it exists in a nonlinear dimension and therefore it is only verifiable subjectively. Yeah, I, I think our what gratifies our ego is what we can see, smell, hear, taste, feel, what we can measure. So it's like from a health point of view, like it can be gratifying to our ego. Like we measure my ketones. Like I can literally <laughs> see those moving up or I Wim Hof breathing. Like now I can measure, like I can hold my breath for four minutes now. Gratification. But then like, man, you can't see, smell, hear, taste or feel at least with your normal hand feeling senses, the gratitude the the connection so it's like we don't know how to value what's priceless we know how to value things that aren't very valuable because we can put a price on them and i think that's what gratifies our ego so i think it takes a lot of i sound a little cliche but i think it takes a lot of courage to be in our heart enough that we risk valuing and therefore putting energy and action into call it the biohacks that don't produce a number and therefore don't really gratify your ego. They gratify your fucking heart though. Yeah, that's interesting. So we're talking about the material world, which is what the ego is always associated with versus the, the non-material world, the sort of spiritual realm, which is what your soul resonates with. So it's like, you know, when you give someone a meaningful hug that something happens, but your ego would rather like, 
you know, get a lot of hits on your website For sure. or, or like or roll out of a car lot with a new, a new leased German car or whatever, you know, it's like, it, it is so true. It's like, which part of yourself are you satisfying and gratifying? Yeah. It's interesting. Um, so the other thing I wanted to, to touch on here, because, you know, I watch your videos and, and even if I'm like, oh God, I'm busted. Like he's totally clowning on so many things that I do. I've never been at risk of being offended by them because I don't take myself too seriously. But something I've noticed is I've been doing this show for a little over a year now. It's not happened too many times, but as you can tell, I'm sort of irreverent. I'm not, you know, I don't really choose my words. I try not to be offensive, but I'm definitely not politically correct either. And there's been a couple of times where I've gotten an email uh, where, you know, a woman is like, oh, you know, I really didn't appreciate that you you called. One was like, you referred to women as chicks. And I find that really offensive or things like that. And I'm like, God, I'm actually pretty careful to be conscious because a lot of the things I talk about on the show are spiritually oriented. And I talk about meditation. So I'm not trying to be a dick. I'm not like that out there like Joe Rogan or something where, you know, I can just say whatever. I'm not a comedian, so I can't get away with it. Otherwise, I probably would say a lot more. But how have you dealt with and have you had a lot of backlash from people that are like, you know, so emotionally sensitive and they come out of their safe space for a moment and, you know, are exposed to your content and then get their feelings hurt? And, and how do you deal with like this prison of political correctness that our culture is currently? Yeah, I deal with it by going right after it. So to go after that preciousness where I'm, I'm too precious to hear anything that challenges my fragile uh, sense of certainty about who I am and what the world is. So like, fuck that. Like, I don't, I don't want to be a slave to avoiding that. Like, I, I, by no means do I want to go out and hurt anybody. But being offended is different than being hurt. To me, it's impossible to be offended or to laugh at something that we don't deep down inside believe is true for us. If you want to make someone laugh, tell them the truth itself. If you want to make someone offended show them something about themselves that they don't like, that they pretend isn't there, they'll get offended. It's wow. just those are two, two emotional reactions. So That's good. in my mind, I, I have that philosophy that it's actually therapeutic for people to get offended. It means they're making a connection with the part of them that they betray, that they pretend isn't there. You're showing them something about themselves that they work long and hard to deny, and they probably believe it's not actually there. So that's why they have this fragile, precious construct about who they are and what they are. And they will react with anger and outrage anytime that is challenged because of how afraid they are. I don't think it's possible to be angry without being twice as afraid. So how I deal with that is have that working philosophy in my mind so that I don't become a slave to avoiding their preciousness. And then like, uh, just go head on with videos. So a few months ago, I made a video called How to Get Offended. Oh, so yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I saw that, yeah. the psychology of it. And then... Was that, the one with, of, was that the one with Lewis House? Yeah, yeah. He yeah, okay, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, like a month ago, I released a video on being a millennial and touched on some of the <laughs> things like, you know, um. I'm, you know, I'm 36 years old, but I don't identify as that age. I identify as a 65-year-old, so I should be able to get social security checks now. So it's kind of <laughs> like, the, and, you know, by the way, fuck you for not seeing me as a 65-year-old. Why? How dare you think you see what you're looking at? How dare you? And it's like, man, like, don't try to control how I see things and see the world. And it, so I like to deal with it by 
just going head on. It's like the, if there's a fire breathing dragon, don't try to avoid it. Go hug it. Well, see, you're in a, you're in a fortunate position, I think, because you, what you do is comedic, you know? And so the content you produce inherently is going to, you know, people are going to expect a certain degree of realness there. And and like, I, I've been recently going to see some comedy just because laughing is a biohack. (laughs) And I actually, I get jealous of comedians because they can fucking say whatever they want. Or like I mentioned Joe Rogan, it's like, he can say shit on his show that like, if he wasn't a comedian, he would be blacklisted by Hollywood and not be able to say, you know, there's like, there's this Orwellian thought police thing going on in our culture now that's just like, it is terrifying. And what's crazy about it is that it's like, it really comes from the the quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes here for the audio people, liberalism, you know, it's like liberal people are the thought police Nazis. It's like everything is this inverse reality where Free speech is only good if everyone agrees with what you're saying. Like, if I disagree yeah. with you... <laughs> but and we'll call that free speech. Yeah. And they get their and it's just like, again. Sometimes I feel like, I mean, I'm like, you, you ever had a dream where it's like a nightmare and someone's trying to kill you and you try to scream and no sound comes out? Yeah, yeah. And that's how I feel, especially living in Hollywood, because it's so like embroiled in that political correctness and the thought policing and just like, I'm like, God, I can't say anything without making someone cry. It's like, Jesus, I mean... Like you choose whether or not you're offended, right? Or you choose whether or not your feelings get hurt. So you could say something about me and my practices or the quality of my podcast or whatever. And it's like, I can either let that in or not. Or you can generalize about 46-year-old white males and how we're this or we're that. Like I don't get offended by anything, I think, because I don't take myself that seriously. You know, it's like, it's the attachment to those positionalities, you know, where it's like this belief system that I have is so fucking rigid. I'm so attached to it that anything you say that doesn't fit within that paradigm pierces my heart. And it's this fragility. It's just like, it's a social phenomenon. And I'm like, when are we going to like break out of this? Because it's like prison because I'm not a comedian. So I have to constantly watch what I say. And I know, I know you, and I'm sorry, this is a bit of a rant because I'm so like baffled by this but your comedy could be offensive to so many people but i think the reason it's probably not is because you have a good heart you know it's like you're a conscious guy you're a loving guy i mean i just get that from you and all of your work it it pokes at people but it's the intention behind it is not mean you know what i mean and so it's like the context of humor the context of words have so much to do with what they mean and their effect. And so there's this relativism where people make up their own meaning to something and they totally ignore the context or totally ignore the intention behind it. So I, I don't know. What do you have to say yeah. about that? I'm just like, ah, it drives me crazy. You yeah. Know? You know, I, I won't pretend that my intention is a strong enough force of the universe to influence how everybody sees my videos. Yet what I will say is you're right. I do have what I would call pure intent. And, you know, now when I script a video, at the top of the script, the first thing I write down is, what's my intention of this video? And, you know, the the beyond, like, make people laugh, but, like, what am I trying to do here? Is it help bring self-awareness of how people are neglectful of their children under the guise of being a conscious parent? So I'll have very deliberate what I think is good-hearted intent. And I think that does matter. I... By no means would I ever want to try to get laughs by bullying people. Like, you you can definitely get what I would call cheap laughs 
by hurting people, no question. But that's not where I come from in my intent. Is sometimes it interpreted that way? Of course, someone's going to interpret it that way. Every video, someone will interpret it that way. JP, I was very offended when you did a video wearing orange glasses because I like to protect my <laughs> melatonin levels. So I don't appreciate that at all. Yeah, and I'm a little offended you don't have your precious orange glasses on right now. Oh, but I, but I have Iris on my screen. <laughs> Are you a big podcast fan? Well, check it out. I am too. But there's one thing I'm not a fan of, and that is trying to remember everything that's discussed on my favorite podcast. I'll be driving my car around and they mention a great book or a supplement or some kind of service that I want to check out, and I either forget about it or I almost wreck my car trying to write it down. Well, I don't want you crashing your car and I don't want you forgetting. So what I've done is created a beautiful highly resourceful newsletter each and every week that I will send you and it features all of the links and resources that me and my guests discuss. So you don't have to do anything except enjoy the episode. Here's how you get the newsletter. Real simple. Go to lukestory.com, find my homepage, look for a tab that says join the evolution. Put your name and email in and I'm going to email you my newsletter every week. I'm very respectful when it comes to newsletters. I only send you relevant information. And more than anything, I think you're really going to enjoy getting a follow-up email of each and everything that my guests and I discuss on the show. So again, if you want all of these resources emailed to you each and every week, just go to lukestory.com and join the evolution. And now back to the interview. Have there been any videos that you've produced or you know written to produce or outlined where you're like ah shit this is actually taking it too far even though your intention's good where you're like i couldn't get away with this or i'm going to be you know blacklisted by um, my, my viewers where it's just like it crossed a line of being too borderline offensive not really because like when i'm going with a specific video topic and i'm scripting it there's thoughts that will come to me it's like ah, that's a funny thought but that's too far. That's like, that's got a, a real serrated edge to it. And I, I definitely, I think the sort of satire, it needs an edge uh, to help cut through the psychological scar tissue of our old dogmas and our senses of certainty. So we need to cut through that psychological scar tissue. But at the same time, you don't want to cut so deep that you wound people's hearts. So I want an edge, but I have to be mindful of like, how, how deep is that edge going? And, and, you know, something you said a few minutes ago, I love how you owned it. Like when you're offended, you make, you make yourself offended. Like you, at some level you choose that. And none of us would know like, oh, I'm going to consciously choose to be offended. It's like, no, but I am generating the feelings of offense. I am doing that to me right now. That's a lot of self-responsibility. And I think one of the reasons that a lot of people in present-day society, and I apologize if you're a person who doesn't identify as a person, like whatever species <laughs> you identify with, I'm talking to you, uh, you know, because there's a lot of those folks present day who aren't willing to take the self-responsibility of realizing they make themselves offended based on the meaning that they associate with words that are said. And I think one of the reasons why people won't take that self-responsibility, or better said, a lot don't, is they're getting their needs met through victimization. I think, especially like as children, if people learn to get their emotional needs met through victimization, just like we can get our emotional needs met through approval, that gets us attention. But being a victim, that'll get us attention too. So some people go that route. And we're creative. 
we all have this beautiful thing called our imagination. And so our creativity, it has a shadow side. We are so creative, we can create a way to get offended about anything. We're that creative, which means I can victimize myself about anything. You could say anything you want right now, and I'll victimize myself about it. We're that creative. And if that's how we're getting our emotional needs met, that's what we'll be doing. And anything different than that, we're going to fight it because this is what's familiar to us. We get the illusion of power by being in the polarity of powerlessness as a victim. And don't you dare try to elevate me beyond living as a victim because this is what I'm self-identified with. These feelings of outrage and victimization, this is what I'm identified with because it's what I learned is going to get me attention. Case in point, People pay attention to big groups of people, especially, and sometimes individuals, when they're acting out as major victims. And then certainly in our individual lives, we can get individual attention when we become victim enough. So the idea of taking self-responsibility <laughs> oh, and not great. blaming someone for how you feel is very antagonistic to living small as a victim. Yeah. That's and by the way, when you point out someone's being a victim, then they'll be victimized about that. Like, how dare you call me a victim? How dare you say I'm getting my emotional needs met as a victim? It's like, I think what you're saying is I'm right. Like, I, I think you're validating <laughs> what you're fighting right now. And there's also, I mean, I know for myself, there's a certain, there's like an ego high that's derived from self-righteousness, from like having a yeah. position, a belief, a dogma that I'm defending. It's a false pride kind of thing, you know, where it's like, God, it feels really good. I'm vindicated. You know, I'm like standing up for what I believe in or whatever, but it's that I'm calling someone else wrong, you know, and this is that, that whole thing. I was talking about it yesterday where <laughs> it's like, I love the country that I live in. I was born in America. And so I think America is fucking awesome. And especially yeah. because of its diversity. And I view America as being so powerful and awesome because all of the most badass people from around the world have migrated here and made it what it is. That's it, America's not great because of white males running it. That's actually the part of it that sucks. But like now, if I am like, if I say, God, I love America, and if I, I put a flag on top of my house, people will say, oh, I hate other cultures or other countries, yeah. you know? It's like they're not mutually exclusive. You can love something and then love other somethings exactly. too. Like we can be polyamorous with that kind of love. Yeah, yeah. I love all, like I love Brazil, but if I put a Brazilian flag on my car, it doesn't mean I hate America, you know? You, that means you're a traitor. You're a terrorist. Exactly. What's wrong so, with you, Luke? So it's like, I think we've become identified with that positionality and then we get high off being right, you know, the high oh, of yeah. being right. And if you turn on the, the evening news, which obviously I don't do, uh, I'm like, I always figure if something big enough is happening, like I'll find out if I see like yeah. a, a mushroom cloud in Santa Monica, I'll be aware of it. You know, when nine 11 happened, someone called me. It was like, dude, now's the time you need to turn on your TV. Okay. Gotcha. But that's, that's what you see are these battling egos battling over their position. And then I could even have an awareness of where we could talk about it and I could be self-righteously superior to the evening news For also, sure. you know, so there's like, there's deeper levels of awareness because I'm sure I'm doing that shit on some level too. Yeah. But I think what, you know, in summary, like the, the beauty of your art and your comedy is that it encourages self-awareness, you know, where there's mm. all of these levels of sort of like, hey man. Like, let's not take ourselves and the world and our positions and our practices and everything too seriously. And in that, 
is like the root of peace because there's some humility there and humility is like what for me is what brings me balance like when i can kind of be humble it's like i appreciate the good in life the good in me the good in you but i'm also aware of the things that are less than good and that's like such a gift to give to the world man man i amen to that humbleness humility doesn't that just sink us deeper into our heart and out of the arrogance of living in this faithful servant called our head? Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, listen, man, I could, I could go on and on, but I know we've got a, we're on a schedule here. Uh, I want to ask you, I want to ask you, there's a final question, but I want to ask you one thing, just because I always want to ask guests this and I always feel awkward, but I have a feeling you can probably bring it on this question. Do you, in any sense of the word, pray? as a means by having a spiritual connection? And if so, what does that look like? Uh, I would say yes, and probably not pray in the religious connotation of it, where I'm on my hands and knees begging to someone in the sky who has a beard. But I would say intentionality of what I want to experience. It's like asking whoever I'm asking, whether it's myself, higher self, or Mother Nature, some other spiritual entity asking to experience what I want to experience. Uh, So uh, what was it? Uh, Last week I was part of an ayahuasca ceremony. It's first time uh, using ayahuasca. Man, I had so much prayer slash intention going into that. And, And my intention was breathe, surrender, and trust. I guarantee I repeated that hundreds of times. And, and yeah, so I, I won't pretend that I'm every day praying, yet uh, it's something I do do when I'm inspired to do it. Would you say that not in the sense of a formal like set-aside time where, okay, now I'm going to do this thing I call praying, do you have a practice or make an effort to sort of keep one part of you tethered in that spiritual realm of having an awareness that there's something bigger than you, call it universal intelligence, creative intelligence, God, whatever. Yeah. Like as a, li- as a living practice rather than a set aside kind of, you know, dedicated. Yeah. yeah. As a living practice for sure. And I love that term, a living practice. It's not a theoretical. Let me remind myself of the thoughts about what the hell is out there spiritually. But to me, my living practice that regularly helps me feel connected to a source greater than me is my creative time. It's at least 45 minutes every day, usually longer than that. And I feel blessed that I get to earn a living largely off of my creativity. And when I'm in a creative space, I feel connected to something beyond me. It's like I'm, I'm living this. I'm not thinking it. I'm feeling a, a spiritual connection And if I was theorizing, like, why, I believe it's because our creativity isn't generated by us. I think it comes through us from a source greater than ourselves. So when I'm in a creative space, it feels like I'm aware of the umbilical cord that connects little me to big something else. And then being mindful of my feelings, my body sensations and my emotions, to me, that is big time spiritual connection. I think sometimes we make the mistake of thinking, oh, that's the mundane human crap that you should actually bypass to be more spiritual. 
I don't think so. I think Carl Jung said it wonderfully when he said, feelings are the language of our soul. So going into these things that we normally label like super ultra, just mundane humanness, like feeling angry, feeling afraid, feeling joyful. Uh, I do my best to intentionally be connected with those. And I think that's one of the most direct spiritual connections that I can have. That's awesome, man. Well said. I I resonate with that deeply. Mm. Uh, In closing, you've taught me a lot today. You've been a great teacher. I think through your work and your videos and your comedy and everything you do, you teach all of us so much on many different levels. Who have been three teachers or teachings that have inspired you that you might point the audience toward? Sure. A a wonderful man named John McMullen. His organization is called journeysofwisdom.com. At this point, John's 76 years old, and he is the most playful, childlike person I've never met. Wickedly intuitive, so compassionate. I've learned so much from him and and grown and healed so much uh, through working one-on-one with him. Uh, that I words of gratitude ain't going to happen. They just don't exist beyond grateful for John. So journeysofwisdom.com. Then one of the first spiritual books I read, which was deeply impactful on me, was called uh, Conversations with God. Oh yeah. Neil Donald Walsh. Walsh. Yeah. Have you read it? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. That That was, that was one of the first things in, in my journey, you know, back in the day that was, that was profound. Yeah. Yeah, I I just, man, I love his work for sure. When I read his uh, that first book, I had this sensation, I'm remembering what I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Like I've always known this. I just haven't known that I've known this. It's like you're not, it feels like I'm just reading my own unconscious mind like gold. That, that one's interesting because... I'm always very, I mean, I'm, I'm very open-minded, I would say, maybe too much so, and gu- to the point of being gullible at times with spiritual things. And I've gotten duped by fake gurus in India and all kinds of shit we don't have time to go into. But with like stuff that's channeled, like Abraham Hicks and things like that, I'm always like, eh, like, why does it have to be someone on the other side that's like, like, yeah, I'm always a little bit weary of that. But with conversations with God, for listeners, the premise of it is, this dude's a regular guy and all of a sudden he just starts getting messages from God and writing them down and it becomes this huge book. But I don't know, like you said, everything that he wrote is just, it feels so right on. There's like nothing in there. Where I'm like, God wouldn't have said that. That's retarded. You know, it's like, it just <laughs> push it, your youngest son off the cliff. Yeah. You know, it actually you just, to. you're so right. And I haven't read it in a long time, but I, I did. I had the audio of it and I'm definitely like have dove into it. But yeah, you're right. It's like on some level, I'm like, God, this just feels true, which most of those kind of channeled things I'm like, me little weary of. All right, so what's the uh, third one? Yeah, third one that comes to my mind, a book by Lama Surya Das. It's called Letting Go. Letting Go by Lama Surya Das. That book, I think, was, it, it helped me really start to feel like, I guess, embracing of paradoxical thinking. And John McMullen's work big time on that too. But Lama Surya Das's book, it, it went into my heart, similar to Conversations with God. And it wasn't just like, oh, I like what this book says and I think it's a good book. It's like, wow, I, fe- I feel different. I feel impacted by the book. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. Um, I'm assuming a lot of people listening to this already know where to find your work and have seen it based on uh, my my relationship with my audience. But um, tell us about your book, how to be ultra spiritual, your website, social media, wherever you want to point listeners to find more of what you do. 
Yeah, the best place to find me is social media. I'm always putting videos out on Facebook and YouTube, and I'm on all the other usual spots too. But all my social media handles are Awaken with JP. And yeah, if, you, if you're inspired to grab my book, How to Be Ultra Spiritual, 12 and a Half Steps of Spiritual Superiority, <laughs> you, can, so good, you can grab that from Amazon, uh, probably Barnes & Noble as well, or you know, steal it if a friend has it, like screw them. Uh, but yeah, man, and Luke, it's just been an honor and a pleasure rapping with you, brother. You too, man. I want to thank you so much. And uh, I can see your Costa Rican background there. And it sounds like there's some kids running around. So I'll let you get back to it. Um, yeah. Congratulations on your work and your life. And thank you for joining me on the show today. Well, brother, you're incredibly welcome. How rad is my life, you guys? Uh, it's unbelievable that I get to sit down and talk to fantastic people like J.P. Sears. But you know what's even cooler is that I get to share these conversations with listeners like you. So thank you so much for tuning in and joining me. I thought that we were going to be like a lot more silly and comedic in this one. So there was like a, a really light tone to it, but we actually got pretty deep, man, if I don't say so myself, or at least he did. It was really, uh, it was really cool to get his perspective. And of course, when when we hung up, because we only had an hour, I thought of like all these other rad things that I wanted to ask him about. So I'm definitely gonna be bugging JP for a part two, probably sooner than later, because uh, you know he's one of these guys that just has so much valuable information and so much humor and so much heart. Um, that's the kind of person I could like do a weekly show with if they'd let me, you know. So. Anyway, glad you got to join me. Hey, do JP, me, the show, yourself, and the world a favor and share this episode with a couple friends. I know it takes a second. You have to like screen grab it or click share or copy or something on your freaking device. But that's uh, one thing you can do to really help support the show is just by telling other people about it. That's how I've been kind of growing it organically for a little over a year now, creeping up on a million downloads, which sounds like a lot. And I'm very pleased with that and grateful for that, of course. But, uh, you know, I have friends that have podcasts and they get, you know, a million downloads a month. So um, I've got a long way to go in terms of making this a really solid, viable show in the iTunes sphere of podcasts. So help me get there if you don't mind. And if you're feeling really generous, something you can always feel free to do is go to lukestory.com forward slash support where you can make a one-time or even a monthly contribution. Listen, I get, you know, however many thousands of downloads a month. If each person like donated 25 cents per episode, I could actually like pay for the sound engineer for the show. So even a couple dollars a month, two, three, four, five, ten dollars a month is really helpful. No obligation. Of course, I'm going to keep putting these out even if I got to pay for it. But uh, any support you can uh, contribute is always much appreciated. Thank you again for joining me and I'll see you next week. Don't forget to go to earthrunners.com and use the code LUKE10 to save 10% off your minimal footwear. What's even cooler is they now have some custom wool tabby socks that allow you to wear the Earthrunners in colder weather. Really cool. Earthrunners.com, LUKE10. Hey, if you were digging this episode with J.P. Sears, I would like to invite you to come back next Tuesday and listen to my interview with Dr. Kelly Brogan, where we talk about alternative psychiatry and the uh, medication epidemic in the world. Very controversial, yet very informative interview with Dr. Kelly Brogan next Tuesday. 
I'd love for you to come join me. And as you may or may not know, the easiest way to ensure that that does in fact happen is to click subscribe on this podcast so that in the event that you were so absent-minded as to forget to tune in and check your app that day, that that episode and the other fabulous episodes I produce to follow will be automatically downloaded either to your app, phone, or computer. So tune in next Tuesday for Dr. Kelly Brogan. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any shows. Thank you so much for joining me on this one. 